When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got very revved up to see this Biosphere movie, and then I find out it's not done yet. I, I was with Miguel, Miguel Arteta last night. Who, um, oh, you were? Uh, yeah, he's a dear friend and, and neighbor. Oh, and, uh, he was our first guest. Amazing. He was our very first guest and speaks very highly of you. I saw Duck Butter up at your facilities, that, oh, that awesome house. Miguel's one of the great ones. He is, he is a delight. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we met him um, years ago through our dogs. He's <laughs> three doors down, but, um, cool. No, thank you so much. Uh, um, and he also, by the way, Miguel also gave me, cause I was like, how do you, how do you, how do you describe this person? Luckily we don't do that kind of show. People just, come <laughs> they know who you are, but, but he said, you know, he's kind of like uh, Roger Corman for the modern indie scene. And I thought that's actually a pretty appropriate description description. Um, that is our, a very honorable one too. Uh, yeah. A very, and I thought one Joe might be able to, um, I have a few, I have a few less, um, scary octopi in my movies. Um, but, but I'm <laughs> correct. In, but, but an amazing eye for talent, but in, but in true Corman fashion, you managed yeah. to do a uh, room one Oh four, which is a genius concept. Oh, save money yeah. because it's a whole series that takes place entirely in one room with different casts and different stories. And you know, if Roger had locked locked onto that in you know in the eighties, he'd be would have would have owned television. He would. <laughs> so true. That's that's true. That is true. This is the movies that made me with your hosts Josh Olson and Joe Dante. guest is Mark Duplass. And um, uh, it's just, there's too much for someone who's been around uh, a relatively short amount of time in this business. I mean, uh, Roger Corman has been around longer. Um, you got me I, beat by a couple of days. Like you're sitting on an airplane up. Yeah. and you're talking to a stranger and you're not hiding from them. And they, they go, what do you do? Um, filmmaker, director, producer, writer, actor. What, what's your, I, I, I like, That's a good what do you question. say? Yeah, you know, um, normally, I would I would say filmmaker is probably the the better encompassing word, um, but most of the time I'm being recognized. It's like, are you that dude from the league that was in my living <laughs> room about fantasy football or something like that? Um, or lately, morning show, or the morning show. In which case, it's easier for me. Um, to just to just go with that moniker um but but you're not wrong to think it it can be weird at times to try to explain what i do having come up with in the independent sphere you know um to someone i would meet on a train um it, it, it's it's a it's a strange business yeah yeah um i don't know phenom 
Yeah, I like it. Self-described. <laughs> a- aging indie phenom. I think it's there a you go. <laughs> um, so, well, we, we have wanted to get you on here for a long time because um, I've been a fan of your stuff. I, I think I saw Puffy Chair at, at CineFamily. Oh, my right, God. Right back in the day. Um, yeah, and not to take anything away. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic film, but if you were going to go, like, yeah, in a few years, this guy's going to control this entire massive chunk of the independent film world. I would have gone, wow, did not see that coming um, in the best way possible. Definitely, uh, it'll make him power mad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now, um, now I know how to describe myself on a train. There you go. <laughs> and, and also about to open a movie theater. Is that Miguel was telling no, me? No movie theaters yet in our plans. No. Yeah, we were, help, we were helping to rebuild Bidiots on the east side. They're doing an incredible job of bringing, oh, that, okay. bringing that back around. So we're supporting. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Um, well, cool. Well, look, I, I just, uh, uh, the opportunity to have you on the opportunity to have someone bring up, um, several films. I am certain that, uh, maybe even Joe doesn't know. Um, <laughs> I was, I was very excited about, uh, I I'll, I'll, I'll cop to it. We, we usually have, or often have the guests send us, uh, the list that they're going to talk about. Sometimes just so you can sort of get your head wrapped around them. I never Absolutely, send it. To, yeah. I never send it to Joe. And every now and then it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll check this one out. So I sound like, and I'm reading your list. I'm like, I just, so this episode is mostly going to be you um, explaining why you love films that I have not seen and need to see. With a few I, brilliant I'm exceptions. I'm excited about that. You know, because I, look, I, I, I haven't done this podcast before, but I have, I have done quite a few uh, interviews where I give, you know, top 10 lists or, or movies that have inspired me. Um, and I've never had the chance to sort of illuminate um, a lot of just smaller films that have been really meaningful to me or films that, you know, I feel like deserved a larger audience and didn't get them. So this is cool for me. Awesome. Yeah, no, this is, this is where we live. So, I mean, do you want to just sort of jump in and, and, and start talking? Like what's your, let's, let's do it. You, you, yep. you pick order off of the list. You just, start, oh, no, you just go, go, go in any order you want. Yeah. You just start like, picking and I'll just start pontificating. Oh, sound? well, okay, fine then. I guess. <laughs> and, and again, Joe has no idea. And Joe, you gotta be honest. You know, the I did Prince of Broadway. All right. Prince of Broadway. So Joseph, no, Joe. Prince Joe? of Broadway. Yeah. yeah. Prince of Broadway. No, this one. No. How Prince. Joe's Joe's seen every movie <laughs> ever made except for. Yeah. So, uh, so Prince of Broadway, uh, was an early film by one of our great indie auteurs, Sean Baker, who yes, uh, yes, I produced yes. his film Tangerine. Um, you know, he did the Florida project and most recently red rocket, which everyone is loving. Um, yeah, I, I was very early in my career. I was tapped to be on a jury for the Woodstock film festival. Um, and I saw this incredible delight of a $10,000 movie uh, named Prince of Broadway. Um, and at the time, you know, what I was seeing in independent cinema was um, really grueling stories, uh, hard fought to be made. that couldn't be made in the studio system. And this was one I expected no different from um, that was set amongst, you know, the culture of uh knockoff purses and and those sales that happen uh in new york city you know and i thought oh this is going to be brutal you know a tale, of, a tale of immigrants coming to try and find the american dream and 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 selling knockoff purses and and um in the first five minutes i was i was proven wrong in the best way because um uh what happens is the the lead protagonist uh, of this story um 
gets his son dropped off to him uh, by a girlfriend of his. Um, and he is not aware that uh, this is his son and he's not aware that he is going to have to take care of this. Um, so it is this incredible comedy of errors uh, stuffed inside of a grueling immigrant story. And it is funny and it is beautiful. And I thought, where did this filmmaker come from? So I fought really hard uh, um, to give this thing the jury award. Um, and then eventually was able to become friends with Sean. And, uh, and then from there, you know, we, we went on to make Tangerine together. And apparently I, I just saw Sean the other night going to see a, a screening of, of Red Rocket. And I told him about this podcast. I said, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing this list of, you know, underseen movies and I'm, I'm putting Prince of Broadway on there. And he says, well, it's getting a huge restoration. Um, oh, fantastic. And it's going to be, you know, uh, available in the Criterion soon. So everybody's going to oh, get it. Oh, wow. Hey, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I didn't, because I, I looked, obviously, when I got this thing, it was like, wait a minute. And I'm, I'm a huge fan. I, I, um, but I remember seeing uh, Tangerine at Cine Family mm -hmm. and not, and then going home and realizing this was the same guy who had made Starlet, which I had also loved. Starlet is um, also incredible. But yeah, the first I did not know this film until, until very cheaply. He made a movie called uh, Takeout that's set in the world of, you know, uh, uh, Chinese American takeout restaurants and first generation families. And, and this one as well, that were very much under the radar. I was really surprised. And, and I, I honestly like just, I, they came out right after I had made the puffy chair, maybe a few years after. And I feel like to a certain degree, um, my peers and my brother and myself may have exhausted distributors with our low budget uh, American auteur filmmaking from 2005 to like 2008. <laughs> and, and he wasn't able to get inside of that wave. Luckily, he found it in his own way because uh, Sean is unstoppable. But um, but yeah, this is a really good early example. That's great. I, I met him uh, once briefly when um, uh, Florida Project was was doing the rounds my uh, my aunt uh was up for an indie spirit award uh, lois smith the actress oh and your aunt is lois smith yeah, yeah. and so she's in my wife katie's movie my wife katie just directed a movie with diane keaton in it um, oh that's your oh my god yes no she was lois so good lord we were just talking the uh, other night about lois um uh to a friend of mine uh who by lowest standards, a, a young gent by the age of 81 years old. Sure. Uh, and uh, we were just saying how it's 3.30 in the morning and everybody is complaining on set, all the millennials. And there's Lois and Katie saying, I'm so sorry. I should have shot you out earlier than this. I really tried, but you're in the middle of the coverage and it's really hard. And Lois looked at her and said, what are you, what are you talking about? Where else yeah, am I going to be? This is what I do. I love it. <laughs> That's so, yeah, she was, she was, it was so, oh, that's, that's, I, 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 I should have, oh, God, I didn't love her. Yeah. I love, love her. her. And, and, and I, I love, I got to see a bunch of rough cuts. So I got to see. Oh, I can't wait to see this. Please, She's please, fantastic. please tell your wife how, how much we owe her too. Cause Lois was the first family member who came here after the quarantine oh, wow. ended. And, uh, uh, we had our first drink made by another human being in a year and a half at a bar with her. And amazing. <laughs> amazing. Love it. I was just back in Philadelphia celebrating her 91st birthday. So it's, I mean, my wife and I, seriously, we were, we were hanging out the other day and we we're like, we need to write like the starring vehicle for Lois. Like why she needs this thing. Like, what is this going to be? And she's so freaking yeah. sharp. It's incredible. So. She's, she's amazing. But yeah, no, but we were, uh, cause they did a New York times thing, um, where they had her and, uh, Brooklyn Prince interview each other. Amazing. And, 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 and Lois introduced me to Brooklyn and I was, I, was, I gotta say quite starstruck, but, uh, yeah. 
get it. Uh, it's wrong. Oh my God. That's fantastic. Yeah. We've been, we've been dying to see that film. She had a great time on it. Um, wow. Well, fine. Uh, how do we top that? Yeah, exactly. That's it. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. We're done. We're done. Um, uh, well, great. Well, let, uh, let's, let's, let's go down. Let's, uh, how about, how about, um, old joy. Okay. So old joy, um, came out right around the same time as the puffy chair. And uh, I don't know if you have had this moment, but you know, puffy chair was very big for us in our career as a $15,000 movie. My brother and I made it together after years of creative struggling. And we really felt really good about what we were able to accomplish, um, particularly because audiences were receiving it so well. Um, and then we saw old joy and we proceeded to start to feel badly about ourselves <laughs> because, um, you know, this was adapted from a, a short story. Um, this is Kelly Reichardt, I think, at her best. Um, it was another national treasure of ours. Yeah. Um, and and what I, what struck me by it, though, was very instructional for me because it's, it's about a 76-minute film um, and very little happens. Um, I think the climax of the movie is one person gives the other person a massage while they talk about their feelings. Um and um but i was so riveted by it um and it was shot on 16 millimeter at the time when all of us were embracing digital video for the first time and it was just pushing against the wave that was coming right at it um you know we were all just thinking god we can do excellent plotting on this cheap digital video and we can really make a go of you know these independent films can be microcosms of big hollywood movies and this will get us forward and and old joy just put its big Oregon boot down and was like, I'm just going to sit here and be quiet and slow on grainy 16 millimeter film. And it reminded me that uh, that stuff is incredibly valuable and I need to hang on to that. Um, and, you know, I've had a love of theater my whole life and I've tried to bring chamber pieces into cinema, you know, and, and two handers in a way that that really I saw first, I think, you know, at least in its modern form and in, in old joy. Hmm. Yeah, no, she's, she's amazing. I, I, that is one that I had seen. Um, and I was a huge fan of first cow mm. as well. That, um, Incredible. yeah, that, 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 uh, and clearly, I mean, I feel like at a certain point you sort of go, okay, this is, this is her style, this kind of yeah. stillness and, um, yeah, she has a partnership with John Raymond, who is a really great author, and he writes a lot of the scripts for her. And Wendy and Lucy is, is similar um, in tone and feel. Um, and those two just create a certain kind of kinetic magic together. And, you know, I feel like she's almost like doing what people are doing in that Norwegian slow TV movement of just pacing everything down for us and allowing us to sort of recalibrate. Um, and I just, I love it brave and I love yeah it. i'm always fascinated by like how because on the surface it seems like it, it shouldn't be that hard to just mm -hmm. write a movie in which you know you measure centimeters instead of yards mm -hmm. uh but boy it can really be boring fast. To hard to make it good um, yeah exactly that's sort of like it. you're not i talk about this a lot you know uh, at our company you know um you should be betting on plot. You shouldn't be betting on mood um, because when, right. you bet on, when you bet on mood, everything has to go right in your direction with the performance, with the feel, with all those intangibles. Um, when you bet on plot, you can muscle it into existence if you, if you aren't getting half of the other things going. Um, yeah. Like, what do you think? Is there, is there, I mean, the, the reason, I guess it's feel, I mean, do you think there's secrets that someone like her is, is, you know, 
You know, I don't know because I, it's not my currency and I'm a little too fearful to just bet fully on those things. And I like to buoy my films with other things that I feel like will guarantee me success in the event that the magic dust doesn't arrive like right. I hope it does. Um, yeah. But it might just be that I think it's magic dust because I don't know how to manufacture that. She may be paying attention to things, you know, that obviously the texture and light and cinema and sound and 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 things that you know, I, I, I don't feel like I'm uh, paying as much full attention to as she must be, you know, right. You can't make that many movies and have them all be good by just sheer luck. You yeah. Know, no, it's obviously got her, her, got her foot on something, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, you, you would hope that she's mystified by things like, you know, second acts or something. But, yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Inciting incidents. Yeah, be that? damned. I, I can never figure those out. <laughs> I'm not good at that. It's tough either, by the way. Um, none of it's easy, but, but I think what she does is, um, yeah, it's, it's just a mystery to me, uh, sometimes. And then, um, uh, Joe, were you, a, were you a first cow fan? I feel like we, I haven't seen first cow. Oh my goodness. Um, I, I give that one a shot. I know your, yeah. I know your, uh, your, your likes and dislikes. I feel like that one might actually get under your skin. Um, and then you've done this a couple of times on the list. You what? You like? I like cows. Well, he it's, likes cows, guys. Halfway there. <laughs> so, the cow in the film is fantastic. Uh, you've done a couple. You've picked a couple of films from filmmakers. I love where I don't want to say I don't like, but it's like that are not the top of my list of their stuff. Like I'm a huge Hal Hartley fan. I would not. Henry Fool would not be the one I would pick. So yes. I was kind of interested in that. But. Uh, that is a reason I picked Henry Fool because you know, listen, when I saw. It, trust it just knocked me out and and i think that you know those early hal hartley movies in particular he's yeah. in his, he's in his form but you know when when henry fool came out i think it was in the late 90s um we were already established fans of hal and i think he lost some people on that one um yeah but but he he went for a, a bigger story there an allegorical story which i thought was really interesting um and i thought that um there was something about um, the comedy that he introduced in that that I thought was a little bit a little bit sharper. There's a there's a moment in there, you know, where our dark apop- apocalyptic figure who is who has come to town uh, to change things. Um, he's telling a story um, of how you know one night he knew someone was coming for him, you know, in his hotel room and coming to do bad things to him, and they sent three people. Um, and he realizes that he was going to meet his doom uh, in this hotel room. And, and Hal is telling it in such a way that it has all the self-seriousness that a different filmmaker would have, where the camera is moving and the, the music is doing all the right things. Um, and then he sort of stops and rug pulls all that. Um, and um, Thomas J. Ryan says, you know, at the, at the end of his monologue, he says, you're going to accomplish what you've come here to accomplish tonight. I'm, I'm certainly going to meet my early demise, but before you accomplish this, one of you will lose an eye tonight. I assure you it's a small task, but I will complete this. So I ask you before we start, is this worth it? What you've come here to do? And I just thought that was so funny and, mm-hmm. and strange and, um, he embodied a, a tonal peculiarity, which, look, I think it's fair for you to say, doesn't quite fully add up to a perfect film in there. But I was so, it was so inspiring to me um, 
to think that, oh, wow, I can use self-seriousness and this light humor in this right in a moment, you know, yeah. not comic relief, they're intertwined here. Um, and I love that about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there's, there's a lot of great stuff, isn't it? Um, somebody's a scene in the bar, he's taking a, his kid to the bar mm-hmm. and his wife comes in furious and she's, the kid's drinking whiskey. She's like, you've got him drinking yeah. whiskey. And he, <laughs> what he says, <laughs> like the cigarettes gave him a sore throat. <laughs> Yeah, my, we, we identify a lot of Duplass brothers, and I don't know if this resonates at all with you guys, but we talk about, you know, certain things are just not meant to be movies. They're really meant to be books. Uh, mm-hmm. There are things that you can buy easier, that you can ingest, that you can relate to a little bit more if, there are, if, the, if the moving image is not passing across your eye, you know, and sometimes allegories are, are a good example of that, you know. Yeah, very much um, so. and, I, and I love that Henry Fool you know, I think would have been a beautiful novel and probably a more successful novel. Um, hmm. But he just went straight in. Well, that's, that's his medium. Yeah. yeah. I keep wanting to, because he's been doing these Kickstarter campaigns for several years now to restore his films and put them out on Blu-ray. And I contribute yeah. to all of them because I want the best version of those films I can. Hmm. And I'm willing to do that. And every time I get those nice thank you emails from him, I'm like, I don't know why. We've had major stars on the show, but like for some reason, I'm always like intimidated to send him an email back going, and now that I've given you all this money, do you want to come on my podcast? But yeah, I would, I would love to have him on. Uh, I, well, th- I would love to listen to that because, you know, he, he truly is an early, you know, indie hero of mine. I'm 45 yeah. now. So you're looking at, you know, Linklater um, and, and, and Hal Hartley in particular, you know, were, were some of the early people where I really looked at them and they just looked so normal. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't dress cool in any way. And there were no, berets or thin cigarettes that intimidated me into thinking that um, I will never be able to be an auteur like this. Um, they were wearing bad sneakers and yeah. they inspired me thusly. <laughs> yeah. And, and so good at what they did. Yeah. I mean, they weren't just sort of cranking yeah. out little low budget commercial films. I mean, those yeah. were, those were works of art. Yeah. I, he, especially that first, that first run of, of however many films it was, it was just this sort of, every time a new one came out, it was just breathtaking. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm also a huge fan of amateur uh, which, Love yeah. It. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and Martin Donovan. I mean, how it's like, mm-hmm. I, I still mm-hmm. want to work with him. He's just, yeah. uh, yeah. Fantastic stuff. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, now we're going to speaking of people we have had on the show. Uh, Wyatt Snack has been a guest uh, several times um, and stars in Medicine for Melancholy, which to my eternal shame, I have not seen. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great movie. And, and I think it does fall into the category of... of go see the filmmaker that Barry Jenkins is going to become uh, by watching Medicine for Melancholy, you know. Um, but there's more than that to it for me. Um, you know, it's definitely a chamber piece. It's definitely falling into the realms of, you know, Before Sunrise and, and here are these two people that go on a journey. Um, but, uh, you know, what was excellent about that movie is that movie was made for probably you know, three or $4,000. And I had sort of convinced myself at that time in my life came out right around the time Puffy Chair came out. Like 
in order for me to get performance right, in order for me to get story right, and because I don't have that much money anyway, um, I'm going to kind of forget about cinematography and the and the elegance of cinema for a second, just so I can get these other things right. Um, right. And uh, that was a good decision for me. But when I saw Medicine for Melancholy and and you know how he he did this thing in in black and white, spent a lot of time in color to give it its perfect you know tone, and how his shots were so elegantly composed, and I. I was like, oh, I think I've been leaning on a crutch here and convincing myself that it all can't be done mm-hmm. um, uh, at this budget range. And 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 he he was very inspiring to me in that moment, even though I was a little, uh, you know, I don't want to say ashamed, but I, I, it was a good learning lesson for me that I could I could try to do all of those things. And so, uh, interestingly enough, it was through that movie that I met Matt Sanders, who edited that film and has gone on to edit you know, or co-edit, you know, with Barry along the way and, and, you know, just edited Shang-Chi, one of the huge Marvel movies. Um, but he became a very close friend of ours. Um, and he came on to edit your sister's sister for us with Lynn Shelton, um, and became a really great collaborator and brought some of those skills to our movies. But some of that, don't you think some of that is finding, I mean, unless you're that whiz who can, you know, shoot your own movie and so forth, some of that's finding the right people. Do you think like, it is that way for us. I think that I have not struggled the way that some people have struggled with their uh, limits uh, creatively, because I think that the way that Jay and I grew up with our approach to filmmaking was always by ourselves. We are not enough. We need each other. So there's an intrinsic understanding of, of it's okay if I don't have all the answers. It's okay right. to not be the Coen brothers and see the whole movie in my head. Um, and the more that I have embraced in my career, this is what I'm good at. This is what I know. Let me find the right partners to help fill in the rest, the better my stuff has gotten. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, at least for me. Cause yeah, I would be, I would be hard pressed to be able to make a film for $3,000 that looked good. Yes. I mean, um, a little easier now, but- technology is around now. Um, but, uh, but but my, my argument would be that Barry would have always found a way, you know? I guess, just, yeah, uh, yeah. Just, One of the things that really knocked me out was that motherfucker shot it on an iPhone and it looked incredible. And then I remember when Steven Soderbergh several years later started going, I'm going to shoot a movie on an iPhone. And his movie looked like it had been shot on an iPhone. Yeah. And <laughs> that's just, that's just Sean Baker, man. I mean, I, I, only thing I'll just say, just because someone who's worked with him and knows him well, it's just, you know, he is a true director in terms of his tenacity and his vision for every single detail. And there's a reason why he only makes one thing every few years. And right. the reason why I make a bunch of things in a year is like, I'm very good at getting things to about an 80% level and then finding others to help me finish them best they can. And Sean will never let anything go until it's 110%. Um, yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's what makes him so great. I don't have that in me. I discovered that early on and that's okay. I've come to terms with that. Um, you find other people, <laughs> probably a happier person because of it. Um, you know, but, but, but you're, you're, you're not wrong. You know, those are older generation iPhones we used to shoot tangerine, you know, and he found his way to get the best it's out of that. Crazy. How good that movie looked. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, intimidating too. Um, there was a kind of, 
Effortless Brilliance. Ah, there we go. Your next film. I had, did not even. Do you know my Effortless Brilliance, Joe? Are you? Are we? Your own Effortless, effortless Brilliance. <laughs> I'm intimately aware. This yeah. is amazing. No, it's just we've every now and then we'll have somebody come in with like one film, and it usually has to be some you know a piece of like Iraqi cinema from the 40s or something. Right. No, uh, but no, I I don't know this yeah. film at all. So this is uh this is this is strange enough. This is Lynn Shelton's second film. Um, her first film um, was actually sh shot on film, very different from what she you know eventually became as a filmmaker. Um, but this was her second film. Um, and I, it's 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 a beautiful film. Um, and it is about uh, male intimacy, which has become a trademark of her work and something that really inspired me to then go work with her on the movie we made together after that hump day and so many others after that. Um, but this stars two of her friends from Seattle, one of which is a, you know, uh, and sort of an unknown actor and one of which is a musician who wasn't really an actor at all. Um, and she took this very simple premise, which I just loved, which is um, the beginning of the film. You, you see one friend calling the other and that way you've come to know when, when, um, if you've ever had one of these friends that, you know, uh, is a bit of a fair weather friend, they, they call you when they need something from you. They call you when they want to try and work out an idea in their head. And it just, it's subtle, but it's a, it's a slightly icky interaction. Um, mm -hmm. And the other friend comes and he drops off to his friend, what that friend has requested of him. And then he says, um, I think you're a terrible person and I don't want to be your friend anymore. And he leaves him there. And that's uh, that's sort of the cold open to the movie. Um, and it, you know, it's a, it's about a friend breakup and about, can you retrieve uh, some of that? And, and I was so, I just loved so much that she dug so clearly and brazenly into male intimacy with this movie. Um, and she was still very much finding herself as a filmmaker when you see this film and you'll see, you know, to me, the title, you made a joke, but it really is like, you see the effortless brilliance of Lynn Shelton coming in fits and starts in this movie and while it's not a full success start to finish um it's really exciting to see if you've watched where she you know who she became um where she comes from was this did you see this like when it came out or so she showed me a rough cut of the movie early on we met okay. on set of a movie i was acting in in seattle um called true adolescence and she had shown up to be a volunteer photographer on the day because she's lynn shelton um and we struck up a conversation and she told me about her movie she was making she was hoping to submit it to south by southwest and and i just loved the sound of it and we, we became friends and and i saw the movie and loved it and i said you know really we should make a movie like this together something would be great and i remember i was sitting at an airport and she called me she said i've i'm i'm never a high concept person i never have big ideas it's always just two friends breaking up or something stupid and she said i have this idea for these these two guys who decided to try and make a porno together for for a film festival you know um and i i just said all right let's do it yeah she was she was um yeah, really really interesting filmmaker uh, terrible loss uh and i'm sure for you who knew her um uh, uh but yeah I, I i didn't again another one i didn't even know um which was uh it's 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 streaming and it's around i don't know exactly where it is right now but this is one that that people should see it's uh, it's inspiring you know we have this grant set up at the northwest film forum called the women of a certain age grant um it's in it's in lynn's name she, lynn didn't make her first feature until she was almost 40 
Um, so I find this movie particularly inspiring for those. You know, there's a lot of ages in our industry. It just is. You know, I find myself saying every time I say up and coming filmmaker, I always put the word young in it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to stop doing that. Um, and, um, and, you know, this is just a really inspiring example of someone who picked up a camera a little later than traditionally happens and, and did it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Where is our, is there, who's our grandma Moses? Are there any, um, I'm trying to think of like, filmmakers who who sort of you know broke through or started really kind of making making movies you know even later like were there any there aren't very many because there really weren't that many opportunities i mean most likely it would be an actress who has had a right career that you know lasted for a certain amount of time and decided that they wanted to take the plunge but i can't a lateral move or something like that yeah Yeah. but i can't think of offhand of I, I can't think of yeah, it. Some either. 60 year old who just decided to pick up a camera and make their first film. And it's, uh... and it's just, it just, it sucks. You know I mean? Like when I went to the film festivals, when I started going, I was 25 and, and it was a young person's game and the connections you made happened at one in the morning while we were all out, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed yeah. to the, you know, the potentially older filmmakers there who probably came with their families or, you know, at the very least had to get home to them. I mean, when I go to a film festival now, there's no late nights for me, you know, yeah. it's like go and support the film and then like get home so I can not miss my kids growing up, you know? Yeah. Although I will tell you if, if you guys do the tour with um, uh, your wife's new film and Lois, she, she will stay up with you in part. All right. Afterwards. Yes. So that's all right. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, uh, back to another guest of ours and, and another film I've actually seen Raman Barani, uh, man push cart. We had him on uh Good Lord. Earlier this year, last year, Joe, I don't know. I can't blend together, but we've done uh, so many. How many have we done? He came out to talk about White Tiger and was was wonderful. And um, such a good movie. I I love. Did you see Man Push Cart? Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, and which is now on Criterion. I think that's where where we found out they were coming out with it. That was when he was on our show. But yeah, you know, we did an international tour for the Puffy Chair, and I saw this at the the Thessaloniki Film Festival in, in Greece. Um and it was a, it was really eye-opening to me. I didn't know who he was at the time. I think he had had another movie before that. He had made something that, that people liked and watched, but um, I wasn't aware of it. Um, and so he was just a total discovery for me. Um, and, you know, it was, you ever have these moments in your life where like you see something, a piece of art, you listen to a piece of music, and you're like, I really appreciate this. I don't know if I'm ready to fully process what it means for me in my life. I'm a tuck it into a corner of my brain. And then it kind of comes and gets you like three or four years later. Um, and, and for me, you know, just speaking candidly, I think that I, I didn't understand what was happening when I made the puffy chair. And then when I went and made baghead and, and dodecapentathlon, but all the movies I was making at the time were um, they were dealing with, male relationships, intensely close male relationships. Um, And there were a lot of middle-class people dealing with their middle-class problems and their feelings. Um, And it was what I uniquely had to offer the world at that point in time in my life. Um, It was a thin lane that I could cover. And I realized that, you know, my filmmaking skills, I wasn't that confident in them enough to tell a movie that wasn't really close to home for me. Um, And I was starting to repeat myself. and I saw Man Push Cart for a second time. And I thought, there's a bigger world out here that just is happening inside of my own feelings. That doesn't erase the benefit of all those movies that I've made, but I'm going to have right. to figure out a way to break out of this. Um, and it was kind of through the lens of that movie that I thought, 
you know, I'm in this deep partnership with my brother right now. And if we continue to make movies, just the two of us, we're going to repeat ourselves very quickly. Um, and that's sort of when we started as a company kind of branching out and partnering with other filmmakers and seeing what different kinds of art we could make. Yeah. It's, um, it's an impressive film and he, um, yeah, I, that's, that's interesting though that it had that effect. Uh, yeah, it definitely, it definitely rocked my world a little bit. And I just, all those, those long, slow shots of him just slowly pushing that card through the city. It just, it, it just stuck with me. It just, and did that, do you, I mean, do you feel like you have sort of moved on from that yourself creatively? And yeah, I think the, what it, the solution for me right now, what it's come to is, um, you know, when I make movies like language lessons that I, I made with Natalie Morales this year, like, um, you know, it, it, that's sort of my, my sweet spot right now, I think, which is to partner with someone rather than partner with my brother, like I always mm -hmm. had who has a different voice than I do, has a different vision, who could benefit from our platform, who hasn't yet had their big breakthrough. Um, and so selfishly, I get something wonderful out of that beyond what Natalie gets. You know, I get to not get the yips as a 45-year-old filmmaker and, and keep my stuff fresh and keep my stuff interesting and and bring th new things out, out of myself, you know? Because yeah. um, I... I I definitely have that little fear in me of like a lot of the great artists that I've admired through the years, they either repeat themselves and, or start making garbage um, when they get around my age, you know? And I don't know if it's because I've gotten more comfortable with, you know, money or if I've uh, less hungry or if I've just made so much, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware that um, that repetition and making bad art is uh, right around the corner for me. So I'm, I'm trying to be, watchful of that avoid it yeah 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 i mean i wonder too sometimes if and different people have different ways of, of going about their their craft but to me it's like i wonder if like you just get to a certain point where you're so competent at the things that used to scare you that you don't think about them and worry about them anymore and that that somehow saps something does that doesn't make any sense where you're like I, that does resonate with me and and one other thing that resonates with me is that and this is just maybe a projection, but from my own experiences, it's so incredibly difficult to make an interesting and engaging film. There is no formula to it, obviously, because otherwise every movie you made would be better be than the last yes, exactly. <laughs> And that does not happen, as we all know. Um, and there's a level of exhaustion that comes with it um, that's kind of hard to reboot from. You know, uh, Mike White is someone I love who he says, you know, part of his process after he makes any piece of art is, he sits on his couch for a month and watches reality television. He just needs that to, to restore himself. Um, and I don't do that. I run a company and I continue making things. And so, you know, I, I do think to a certain degree, you know, if I'm being fully honest, when I look at a next project like language lessons, like should I direct it or should Natalie direct it? I don't know if I have the life force in me after having made all that art to be willing at every turn to batter the film and myself in a way that is required to make a great piece of art. But I know Natalie does because she's first right. up and so time, you know, and so I'd rather just give it to somebody else. Well, that's the great be. thing about the, the position you built for yourself, I would say, yeah. is that you don't have to, um, yeah, I mean, a, a thing, a thing could come along. You've got room now for something to come along that makes you feel that way. It, it's, it's absolutely and you true. And do like, it, but you don't have to. And I have a nine and a 13 year old daughter and I want to spend time with them. And, and I am aware of that. You know, maybe that is how bad art gets made. You, you get happy and you're like, 
I'd rather be home at dinner with my kids because, you know, playing Rummy Cube with them while I drink a beer and make them their set of mocktails, like that's kind of where it's at for me right now. Um, And I need to own that and and give away the things that I'm not willing to do, you know? Famous last words. uh, Well, that's the subject of your next project. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Hey, we just want to take a quick break from our conversation with Mark Duplass to thank our incredible sponsors, MoviesUnlimited.com. They are the movie collector's website. Uh, They're great fans of our show, great supporters of our show, and they feature a ton of the movies we discuss here. So you can easily find them to add to your collection in hard media, folks. You own it. No one can delete it from your collection without your permission. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want. There's usually a ton of great content, bonus features like director's commentary, deleted scenes, and you don't get that spinning ball when your Wi-Fi is out. Buy your favorites at MoviesUnlimited.com. You'll find classics, imports, hard-to-find films, and of course, new releases too. The prices are great and the choices are endless. Own the titles you love and enjoy all the bonus features you just don't get elsewhere whenever you want. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on our website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. Yeah. Um, uh, Stevie, let's talk about Stevie. Yeah, so Steve James, uh, National Treasure documentarian, and, and we all love Hoop Dreams, and I do love Hoop Dreams. Um, and Hoop I, Dreams I was guessing, because there were a couple of movies named Stevie, and I was going, this is the documentary. Yeah, yeah. so, so um, Hoop Dreams was the gateway drug for me into a much harder watch, which is uh, Stevie, you know, and I don't know if you guys, oh. have you guys seen this film? So Joe has seen it. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No. Okay. So I haven't seen it. So this is um, a very personal documentary. Um, Steve James was um, a big brother uh, to a young guy named Stevie. Um, And as a lot of big brothers do, you know, you're young and you're idealistic. You have more time on your hands and you give yourself very fully to a human. And I think that Steve felt that and this is projecting a little bit, but it's, it's fairly in there. he gave of himself fully emotionally to young Stevie. And then he got his own life and his life took off and he got his own family and his own kids. And he sort of feels like maybe he abandoned Stevie at some critical times in his life when he really could have used it. Um, and Stevie gets himself into a whirlwind of trouble um, and does some things that are morally reprehensible. And Steve James is the subject of this documentary, trying to figure out what is his place in this um, and his being there for Stevie at the right time and then yanking himself out. Um, and it is a gut-wrenchingly honest uh, portrait of not only this young man, but Steve's Steve James's own desire to do good um, and how he may have done uh, worse in the process. And it's, yeah, and a documentary. And it's a documentary. Which makes it, and it's oh, long, wow. you know, it's, it's in the time when, uh, when the streamers weren't out buying our documentaries and there was no money to be made anyway. So fuck it all. I'm going to make it as long as I want. Um, you know, and, and it, and it deserves it. And it's a two and a half hour watch and it, and it's painful. I'll be honest, be prepared if you're going to watch this and there's some triggers in there, but, um, it is one of my favorite documentaries I've ever seen. Um, like, you know, close, close behind American movie, which I normally put on these lists. Um, but, but everyone, Yes. But everyone has seen. So I, yes. I wanted to shed a little, uh, shine a little light on on little Stevie. There's one we should we should try to get. I think we've talked about this before. It would be fun to reach out to Mark Borchard. You absolutely should. Um, and you know maybe reach out to Dawn as well, his daughter, who's also in the industry and also in the film. And they have a 
uh, really fascinating relationship. Oh, God, yeah, she must have. Good Lord, yeah, she's like about four so in the movie, right? We'll let them, maybe we'll let them split it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that movie was, uh, um, oh, my God, yeah, I worship. I remember, was it the, that year? Uh, who was it? It was Joe during the Oscars. They got someone, was it like Les Blank, who shot all the um, sort of interstitials for all the Academy Awards oh, for every wow. category? Now, yeah. And they would show little brief clips from everything and every subject or not, not movies that had been nominated this but just films that, that people remembered from that year that were, you know, best actor, best. Yeah. And I remember when they did the best documentary because that did not get nominated, but there was a brief shot of Mark Borchard shooting his mother uh, in, in the film. And I watched with a bunch of friends and we were all cheering. We're just I mean, like, Borchard's yeah. at the Oscars. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never rooted for a filmmaker. Harder. It wasn't Coven, but uh, it was good enough. Which, by the way, is an acceptable pronunciation. God damn it. Do you know that? It, it, you are allowed to do that. It turns out. I, so, I'm going yeah. with it. <laughs> you need an umlaut or something. <laughs> Um, and then another one, actually, I, I've seen more of these than I think I've seen, because I've seen what happened was, I just, um, I think I was left a little mystified by it. And also I may have, I have a lot of Tom Noonan baggage that mm. anybody who first saw, no, it's simply from Manhunter. Um, yes, yes. Well, I, I had seen Manhunter going into what happened was, which is, uh, I think this movie mm-hmm. was made in like 1994, uh, very cheaply made independent film, Tom Noonan. Uh, adapts his own play and he directs he stars with um karen is it karen silas or Kellen silas i don't i never know how to pronounce it silas i think silas uh of hal hartley fame um so we're you know we're we're, we're firmly situated in the uh in the early 90s uh oeuvre and world um and uh there was a movie theater in new orleans called movie pictures um p-i-t-c-h-e-r-s um and this is where i got a lot of my education in independent film they not only um, allowed underage people in to see, but they would sell beer to underage people. Uh, and I, I mean, maybe they didn't know it, but I was underage. And so I would find myself, you know, it's a Saturday night, I'm trying to be social and stay with my friends, but 10 o'clock would roll around and inevitably I'd, I would just make my way over to movie pictures and just see whatever was there. Um, and uh, I stumbled into what happened was one night. Um, and there's a very th- thick strange mood to it uh the plotting is is very strange um and and there's but there's a there's a moment where they uh they needle drop uh voices carry by till tuesday it was amy mann's uh first band uh that sort of like roots you and, and connects you back to the heart of the story um but that movie in particular you know and this is a little bit of a recurring theme for me though, but it did uh, in the same way when I saw my dinner with Andre at a similar time, made me feel like, can you just make a movie about two people talking and, and will it, will it right work? Will it be enough? Uh, yeah. And I remember looking around in the theater at the you know four other people in there and seeing them riveted by it. And it, and it emboldened me. It made me feel like, wow, this could be something I could do. I barely, it's like, it's an awkward date, basically, right? Isn't that the whole yep. thing is it's, just... It's, it's, a, it's a very strange, awkward date. And 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 look, now you can look back and see, you know, okay, they just reverse engineered some really cool monologues in there. Um, but it um, there's a very thick mood, uh, severe loneliness for yeah. these two people involved. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's a really interesting piece. 
he's he's yeah he's always been a great i mean it took me many years to get over manhunter but he's, he's an amazing presence um oh my god i remember once like being cut off in traffic by somebody perfectly normal i don't mm. smear them and then and catching up to the guy at the next light and i'm ready to flip up the bird and go you and i look at yeah. his tom noonan this is about a year after manhunter and i remember yeah, just going he's six foot five you know yeah, i just sort of skulked yeah. down and i was like yeah. i'm not gonna flip that guy off. We, he came on to our hbo show animals uh which is an animated show we made for a few seasons and oh, he did wow. a, a voice or two for us i mean just a, just a consummate mensch and uh, supporter of indie things i've that's the thing is everything I ever hear. Everybody just loves him. He's the nicest guy. Yeah, usually, Which usually is... the six foot five, murdery looking people are really sweet. <laughs> well, I find don't you, Joe? You've worked with a ton of these guys. I always find they like the character actors who invariably play the worst people. The people who are cast because they look scary, yep. or even the people who are cast so you would like, oh, that guy's an asshole, are always the nicest. No, people, people who play assholes are almost always nice people. <laughs> yeah, you know. And by the way, I'm not going to name names, but I've yeah. seen it go the other way too. Some of those real. He must be the nicest guy. He just gives the greatest presence on screen. <laughs> yep. He's a real good actor. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is that, that weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I gotta say, I, I, your performance in creep, um, convinced me that you're, you're almost certainly a lovely person. In person. <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrifying. Um, uh, we've got a couple left. I want to, I'm going to save, but well, you'll know what I'm saying for last and, and why, but, um, uh, I want to talk about grownups because my wife Nancy and I have been going through a, a Mike Lee thing yeah. lately, just sort of rediscovering Mike. Oof, I'm in and, love with him so much, and I'm in love with his process, which is similar to mine but but different. Um, and um, I went through this phase where I watched a lot of these early move for BBC films that yeah. they made. Um, and grownups was my favorite of the bunch. You know, Brenda Blethen in this is just explosively hilarious and tragic. Um, and um you know depending on how good uh your ear is you you might even need to put the subtitles on because it's kind of hard to understand the thick accents which gives it even more charm um but it's such a great little chamber piece um and you know no no one has done more to obviously celebrate uh the lower and lower middle class uh with a big heart and humor than than mike lee has um and this this movie which I guess I just sort of, I did that thing where I was like, well, the movie didn't blow up, so it must not be that good. And I saw this and I was like, why is this movie not like heralded as, as one of our great indie national treasures? It's lumped in with, you know, um, I guess Abigail's Party and this one he made about camping and, and as sort of like these little films that were made for the BBC. But it is to me a title. That's so funny. Yeah, no, because I'm, um, I, mean, I think they all were, were relatively because uh, you did them off. The, there's actually a great um, box set out of England uh, that is all the Mike Lee BBC stuff. Okay, um, I should get, and that's on there, and we're, we're tracking down. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's funny because that that uh, is one of the last ones I had seen. I'm a massive, massive Abigail's Party incredible uh, fan, and that thing was a phenomenon. Apparently, it was a play, yeah. and then um, which and and and. Yeah, I'm I'm always boggled by his process because he does not walk in with a story. Yeah. It's just he figures it's it's just an amazing thing. Um, but yeah, that one, I mean, like I, I also love Nuts in May, which is the campy one. Yeah, that's what it was. And right? um yeah, and I, I went back uh uh recently to check out grown-ups, and it's like there's there's some marvelous stuff there. Mm -hmm. It just but yeah, so many of his films you kind of sometimes you have to wait until the last five minutes to even figure out like what is this going to be about? Mm -hmm. 
which, which which might reflect his process you might might be yep. uh, might be of how it's made you know like there the reason we don't kind of know yeah exactly but it's one of those things it, 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 it always makes it because it's like most things when someone tells me that they're trying to capture life um you know on film or or in a novel or what have you i'm it always puts my back up a little bit because yeah. you know this is an art form it's an artifice it's um uh that, that that's not necessarily the highest thing you can aspire to yes. i'm not even sure you can and so forth but i every time i watch a mike lee film and again going back to this process again watching them all again uh it's like i think this is one of the few people who gets to say that yeah because right. he's really that that's his project he's trying to do that he understands how hard that is i mean and, i i always uh i don't know if you use a gateway film to get people into mike lee but i i, I use secrets and lies mostly as a way sure. to get people in yeah um, and then I sort of drag them into the darker recesses. Um, wait a little bit on naked. Um, it can be a little tough. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, if there's any, if there's anyone who I aspire to sort of be more like in in this industry, it it, it is Mike Lee. I, I like that. I don't know if he sees it this way, but he just makes his movies, and every now and then, one of them gets more popular than the other, and. There doesn't seem any rhyme or reason, but he just yep. he keeps stepping up to the plate, and I just love that. Yeah, and he seems pretty. You know, I, I, I've seen him a couple of times, and people sort of lobbed criticism at him, usually secondhand. I've never seen anyone doing it to his face, but saying, you know, people have said this, and and he's great at kind of addressing it, owning it, and then pointing out the flaws in that criticism. Mm. Um, and and uh, uh, and I, but I just recently I know there's been a lot of. People I'm getting on naked lately and sort of quote unquote rethinking it because of its misogyny. And yep. I'm watching this film again, I love that film. And I'm like, the film's not misogynistic. The, the the character is you're dealing with, and and that's always kind of a scary thing for me when yep. we sort of conflate one with the other. It's like we got to make movies about uncomfortable subjects and people, and that doesn't mean we're endorsing them. But um, yeah, that's that's he's just unreal. Uh, and weirdly, I've been watching a lot of Pedro Almodovar. Mm. Uh, at the same time, his new one is is phenomenal. Okay, I'll put him on the list. I mean, I'm starting to develop this strange theory that that the two of them they have there's some weird commonality, even though uh, they're so radically different. That I'm trying yeah. to figure out what that is. Yeah, but uh, I I don't know. But somewhere there's somebody. It could be the same person. You ever seen them together? Uh, good point. <laughs> good point. The um, yeah. the uh, he's just he's so much more cinematic. Michael, or at least overtly so, and, right. and melodramatic and everything else, and yet still kind of going for the same truth somehow. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, the new ones, the new ones. Well, they both keep arriving in the same world and the same subject matter and the same themes, and I don't mind. And they don't repeat yeah. themselves uh, or in a way that bothers me. Um, yeah, you know, they've they've stuck close to home in that way, and they they never get there in one film, so they just keep coming back. And there's something interesting about that. Yeah, and they also, as you said, they sort of they exist in these worlds where this one's a hit, this one's not. They keep going. Yep. They don't care. You don't. I've, but that's the world all of us live by. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but there's there's those films. Some people are tortured by it, you know. Um, yeah, and then there's those ones who like you know you have you have a couple of indie hits, and it's like there's you know you're going to get sucked into the Marvel universe, and we're not going to see you again for 15 years. I have yes. zero concern that Mike Lee is going to be prevented from creating his next masterpiece. Agreed. No, although Agreed. although that. <laughs> could you imagine? Yeah. That would be interesting. Well, I'd love it. I would love it. Uh, and then the last one is uh, some lady. I don't know. Uh, this Katie. Um, yes, the freebie. <laughs> I was like, I picked the freebie. I remember the freebie. It's such an interesting 
film. And then I, I should know the end and I'm finding out that there's actually a connection. He's not pushing his own work, Joe, but he's sort of cheating. But do you want to love They're film. allowed to push their own work. You know, it's not his own work. <laughs> it's even worse. He's, he's yeah. So, so, so I am a producer on this film and I want to come out and say that. So there's some, there's some cheating. There's some cheating on this. I'm an executive producer, but only in so far as um, my wife and I paid for this movie out of our joint bank account. Um, uh, and this was, you know, I, I highlight this movie because, um, you know, I think it is a criminally underseen movie, not just because she's my wife and I think she's talented and I love her, although I can't completely divorced myself. She, she directed. Yeah, she directed the film um, yes. and she stars in it along with Dak, Dak Shepard. With Dak um, yeah. And, um, you know, premiered at Sundance and it sold to a, a smaller distributor at the time named Phase Four, who sort of quickly folded after that and weren't able to really give it its proper release, uh, which is part of one of the reasons I wanted to highlight it. But, but also um, the circumstances under which the movie were made, I think about this more and more, um, you know, and we've been trying to support as many female filmmakers as we can these days. It's been a big push for ours. And part of it comes from the nature of making this film, which is our oldest daughter was um, 11 months old. Um, and my wife and I decided when we got married and before we had kids that this was going to be egalitarian parenting, you know? We're going to do it 50 50. This is, you know, the new way. And no one's career is going to take precedence over anyone else's career. Um, and subsequently, um, my second movie took off. And then Katie and I got pregnant. And then there's this baby at home. And my career is going. And Katie is at home with a child. The thing we said we would never, ever do is, is happening. How life, life has always got other plans. And we really fell into that fucking trap that we promised ourselves we wouldn't do. Um, you know, and, and Katie's auditioning for this and that role and she's hot coming out of the puffy chair, but, but nothing is quite clicking for her. Um, and so she comes to me and she says, I, I you know, I want to make my own movie. I got to make my own movie. Um, and so we set aside eight days and we set aside $12,000, um, in Casavetta style. And, um, my mother agrees to come for four days um, and awesome. babysit our oldest daughter. And her mother agrees for four days to come babysit our oldest daughter. Um, and we're all living and shooting in our house that we had just leveraged everything we, we owned to purchase. Um, and um, she, I watched her become a, a filmmaker over the course of eight days. And, and I, I, you know, I go back, I, I watch that movie every now and then because I'm just, something i just love about it um and in particular you know dax shepherd who has gone on to be in the show parenthood and, and really show what he can do as an actor he was just a friend of ours who had just been in a bunch of broy comedies and hadn't done any of that stuff yet so she saw something in him that she was able to to bring out um and and you know for me it was such a it was such a joyous experience just taking a backseat support role in that film. And the film itself turned into really something that, that clicked for young mothers and for young female actors at the time who, you know, I can't tell you how many people came to Katie and just said, Oh my God, like this is still a boys club. Like it's every time we show up to the film festivals, it's still the boys bringing their movies that they got to make. Um, and so you know, she and, and Lynn were able to sort of inspire a larger group of filmmakers in that moment. And 
And I just, I just have such a warm spot for that movie and always wish more people would see it. Yeah, no, it's, it's a terrific film. Um, I, I, again, I had not, uh, this stupid me, it's like, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I, I remember that when I looked it up, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. so there's this connection. But um, it did a thing that I like. There's a few films that, that, that do this where it took a concept that could easily, easily be, you know, a uh, sort of dopey mainstream, high concept romantic comedy. It's, it's, uh, it's about this couple, Joe, who just give each other like a night a night off from being married and you know, hilarity ensues and, and you think, and it, and yeah. it, it's not, it's, it's, it's a very real movie about, about a relationship. And I, I kind of love that stuff. I love where somebody's got one of those ideas, you know, probably could have gone off and sold it to someone to drink into it. Like, you know, a Gary Marshall film or something yeah. Yeah. like that. And insane go and you know, they go, they go that other route. Um, yeah. It's really, it's an interesting film and, and, and really I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because, uh, it's just one of those ones I had not thought about in a long time, you know, like, Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. And what a, and what a fun thing that we, we began this conversation talking about your aunt Lois yes. and, and directing her yes, and, and your wife's next. And here's where we end yeah, yeah. all tied together. Just like a good movie. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, 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 we should, we should have Katie on when, um, we, that's, you know, we people on all the oh, time, sure. but it's like to, to sometimes we you guys, tie you guys can film. go for 60 minutes about Lois. Well, we can do that right. too. Yeah. She can yeah. do her favorite, yeah. uh, her favorite Lois Smith movies. Um, I gotta tell you one of my favorite things is, is showing, uh, her nieces or my nieces or her grandchildren, um, a movie she did back in like the fifties, mm. <laughs> which is just glorious. They're like, yeah, yeah she's in this, oh my God, she's yeah. this dopey Greer Garson Western, you know, and they're all just yeah. sitting here going, what the fuck is that? <laughs> She kissed James Dean, yo, and you need to see this. Yeah, she did. <laughs> exactly. She did. Even better, even better. It's on, you can Google it, you go to YouTube. If you look up the costume tests or the wardrobe tests for East of Eden, um, this is the crazy thing is she's, um, it's, she's in these scenes with James Dean. There's no sound. And she starts standing there in her outfits and he is so clearly doing everything he can. Like if you can hear the audio, he's just macking on her nonstop. And she's just, <laughs> she's just like, Got no time. Like whatever, dude. No time for yeah. I love it. I love it. That's oh, so good. Fantastic. I love it. Uh, well, Mark, man, thank you so much. I, I knew it would be uh, it would be great fun talking to you. You did not disappoint. I didn't think you would. <laughs> um, what? He has high standards, Mark. Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're easily bored. Here. We're easily bored. Um, but that was that was great. When's um, uh, language lessons? Is is. So Language Lessons uh, had its theatrical release. It's now on uh, on all the VOD platforms okay. and iTunes and all that stuff. So you can go check it out now. Awesome. And anything anything um, um, hot and new we should be looking out for? I'm 500. No, I think this is, this, is, this is what I want people to see. I mean, we do have a, a documentary called Not Going Quietly about the great activist Adi Barkhan. Um, that's uh, making the rounds right now. Um, and um, I just think that uh, those filmmakers made something incredibly important and special. And so I do try to highlight that one. Fantastic. Well, thank you, man. I just want to say just personally, I'm just, I'm glad you're out there. I'm glad you guys are doing what you do. Cause it's, um, um, that's really sweet of you to say thank you. And thank you for inviting me here. And, um, and, uh, yeah, next time we get something, we'll, we'll come up with, a another, another weird list. Fantastic. Great. All right. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Cheers guys. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made. Stay safe out there, folks.
As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.